Well, we come to the last of our Beatitudes uh, this, uh, today. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Kind of interesting that this is the one for this week. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'm not sure if you know that it's said that when you become a Christian, 33 things happen to you immediately. 33 and I read, I read just recently of a, of a gentleman who said this. He, he's, he's summarized it down to three. He said, when you follow Christ, three things happen. First, you'll be delivered of all of your fears. Second, you'll be absurdly happy. And third, you will have trouble. <laughs> Interesting, isn't it? Third, you'll have trouble. Jesus' words in this beatitude have left us in no doubt and other places as well what he says, that as Christians we can expect to have trouble, to be persecuted. Mark chapter 10, verse 29 and 30, Jesus said, Truly I tell you there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news who will not receive a hundredfold in this age houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields, with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. John 15 verse 20, remember the words that I said to you, Jesus says, servants are not greater than their master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. John 16, 33, I've said this to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you face persecution, but take courage, I have conquered the world. But not only Jesus, the New Testament writers also affirmed what Jesus said. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Indeed, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I wonder, I wonder if it's possible that Timothy... Timothy heard Paul say those very, those very things that he writ, wrote down years earlier when Paul went and visited the home of Timothy in the town of Lystra. In Acts 14.22, it says this, There they, talking about Paul and Barnabas, strengthened the souls of the disciples and encouraged them to continue in the faith, saying, it is through many persecutions that we must enter the kingdom of God. Not only Paul, Peter as well. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is taking place among you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, so that you may also be glad and shout for joy when his glory is revealed. And then Peter says exactly the same words as Jesus in the Beatitude that we're looking at uh, this morning, where Peter writes in 1 Peter 4.14, If you are reviled for the na name of Christ, you are blessed. So what can we gather? Persecution is to be expected, is to be expected. First of all, I'll talk about the reason. The reason why suffering or persecution is to be expected. Jesus told us that not only would 
we be persecuted, but he also told us the reason why. John 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, be aware that it hated me before it hated you. If you belong to the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. They will do all these things to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. It's true, isn't it? I want to think about your normal week. It's said that when we come together as a church, this is probably, for most of us, the only time when we are the, with the majority, with the majority of Christians. Most of our time, I would imagine, during our week, we're associated with people who aren't believers. And that makes us the odd ones out. Because we've come into a relationship with God, and the world doesn't want to believe there is a God. As soon as you acknowledge that there is a creator, then you must acknowledge also that your life is held in account to that creator. So as many people, I think, don't want to even believe that there's a God, don't even want to consider it, because that means, right, that they think that they can hold, uh, live their life with not being held account to anybody else. I just go and do what I want, and nobody's going to call me to judgment in the end. But for us, of course, we know that our loyalties don't lie in this world. Our loyalties are with Jesus someone whom they don't know and someone whom many do not care to know. For many unbelievers, God is a stranger. And a stranger is always a threat because we never know how a stranger is going to act or react. Maybe he'll turn out, turn on me. Maybe he will turn against me. Maybe he's one who I cannot completely trust. When you became a Christian and I became a Christian, we said, Lord, all of me, all my life, right? I trust in you. I give to you. That's a huge step to make. But I would say it's because we are overwhelmed with the love of God that since Christ died for us and rose again, we go, I know I can trust him. Next week, I'll be speaking to 18 to 24-year-olds, most of them first time away from home, many of them Canadians, new experience, living in a different country. This will be something totally new for them. I want to teach them that you can trust God today and you can trust God tomorrow. Why? Why be so happy about persecution? Why be so happy that Jesus says here in this beatitude has become part of our lives that we're to say, oh, what bliss, oh, what joy when I am being persecuted. For to us belongs the kingdom of heaven. On a superficial reading, it doesn't make sense, does it? Who welcomes persecution? Who says, oh, what great joy it is to be persecuted for Christ's sake? It's difficult for us to reconcile. 
the fact that as Christians we can be at times the scorn of others, that others do make fun of us. As you know, I came back from Alaska recently on this photography trip, only that only one Christian among the other photographers. And the lead photographer, he had a little dig every day, he had a little dig at Neil, right? Just have a little dig at Neil. I haven't been to church since I was, since I was 16, right? He'd say in front of me and then he'd look around at me. Another lady said to me during the week, she said, Neil, does it, does it get under your skin that he's just having a little go? I said, no, not at all, not at all. It's all good. I've shared the gospel with him. I'll leave it with God now, what he wants to do with that. Yet it's true, isn't it? Persecution is a constant theme throughout the whole of the Old Testament. Again and again, we're reminded that to suffer for Jesus' sake is something to be welcomed, but not only welcomed, but to be rejoiced in. And this is another thing which differs Christ's teaching from other people have taught also. Other religions state that to embrace suffering may expose us to suspicion or even rejection by others, so they advise that we take a strong defense against it. Mohammedism does that. Confucius says, just philosophically resign yourself to the fact that this will occur will occur and just accept it buddhism says escape from it if you're being suffered or you're suffering or being persecuted against then get away from it and find peace somewhere only christianity says glory in it again let me read Jesus' words, Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 and 12. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Romans 5, 3, Paul again, we also boast, or Paul, we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And then this line, I'm sure you know this from Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, the one aim, the one goal in his life, everything that he pursues can be wrapped up in these words, I want to know Christ. And that word know there is not just head knowledge, there's two Greek words for know, this is experiential knowledge. Jesus knew, uh, Paul knew Christ, he'd known him for years when he wrote the book of Philippians, but Paul says here, I want to know him, I want to experience him more and more, and the power of his resurrection. Oh, I go, amen to that, amen. But then what is he right? and the sharing of his sufferings. That's what I want to know and experience, says Paul. We'd all put our hand up for the first two, wouldn't we? I want to know Christ in a deeper way than I've known him yesterday. I want to know the power of his resurrection, but sharing in his sufferings? Maybe not so much. 
And then James, we know these words too. My brothers and sisters, when you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy. Oh, what a great thing. I'm going through a trial. Oh, this is so good, so good. Oh, I don't do that. I certainly don't do that. James chapter 5, verse 13. Are any of you suffering? Then they should pray. To the early disciples and to the Christians, those early Christians, suffering did not present a problem to them as it presents to you and for me. They had learned that to ask the question, why is this happening to me, was a futile question. That God does not answer that question many times. They didn't have to ask the question because they already knew the answer. That in becoming a Christian, suffering would be expected in this life. They weren't to expect a life free from all suffering. In fact, I remember Tozer writes somewhere in one of his books, Tozer says this, how can it be that I expect Jesus to take all the suffering from me and that I never have to suffer? But more than that, to the, for the early Christians, it excited them. They were ready to suffer. The reason for their suffering, the end result of their suffering, was clear to them that this was evidence that they were on their journey of faith with the Lord. So clear, in fact, that they believed the suffering to be part of the gospel, part of the good news. They understood it, and understanding it means they did not need to question it. The book of Acts shows us this, doesn't it? The, the birth and growth of the early church. Members of the church suffered. It was nothing new to suffer for being a Christian. And they would see others give their life to the Lord and suffer because of it. They might have a boss, for instance, who wasn't a Christian, who didn't like Christians, who persecuted Christians, and some people lost their jobs just by becoming a Christian. And others would see this and they would know, as soon as I become a Christian, I can expect that suffering will come to me also. Paul said to the new, brand new disciples at Derby and Lystra, that to be a Christian meant expecting suffering straight away. Peter knows this or knew this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20 and 21. If you endure when you are beaten for doing wrong, what credit is that? But if you endure when you do right and suffer for it, you have God's approval. If we're to understand the gospel, the good news that the apostles preached, then we must understand also both the inevitability and the joy, the joyful worth of suffering for Jesus' sake. So then what kind of suffering or what sort of suffering should cause us to rejoice? The suffering that a, a Christian is commanded to rejoice in, I say, is a suffering of a particular kind. It's not suffering of every kind. For example, sickness, 
accidents, natural disasters, difficult times that you and I go through are all part of being and living in a broken world. And we are to expect those different types of suffering. We've all been ill sometime in our life. We are because we're human. We take things that are wrong for our bodies into our mouths and we become sick and we live in a broken world. As a Christian, we're to face sickness, accidents, natural disasters, difficult times with the three fundamentals of the Christian faith, that is faith, hope and love. Faith, hope and love. You know that some suffering can be alleviated by faith. In faith-filled prayer, we bring our requests to God and we see God answer those prayers. Faith transforms us. It matures us. We go on with faith. Having looked in our past and seen God has been faithful to me here and faithful to me here and faithful to me here. I can trust him to be faithful to me in this also. We accept that sometimes God does discipline us. We're going off the path that he has for us. And so, like a good parent, a loving parent, he disciplines us so that we're brought, brought back onto the right track again. And the result of that is that our faith grows stronger in him. Some suffering needs hope. Some suffering needs hope for it to be endured. No pain, no gain, they say, don't they? <laughs> it's a terrible thing to say. No pain, no gain, but it's true. The hope of our final redemption, we know, is that we know where we're headed. We know that day when we shall see him and we shall be like him. And some suffering can be alleviated by love. Just down-to-earth, practical love to another person who is suffering in some way to alleviate their suffering. That's what bridge care is all about practical down-to-earth care for others but i think the persecution that jesus is mentioning here in this beatitude is different this is a persecution which is bound up with the gospel and that's why we rejoice in it it's suffering that comes from those who are opposed to us and what we believe and it comes out of an ill will of others. It may come in the form of malice, meanness, slander, ill treatment, or in the extreme case, physical violence. Well, I was a student of Bible school, Barrel, way back there in 1987, I think it was. We decided to do some street evangelism down there, Circular Quay in the Opera House. I put my hand up. I said, I'll stand up. I'll stand up on the box and I'll preach. I've been called names as people walk past. I thought, I've never been called that before. It's true, isn't it? Some people just hate. They do not want to hear the gospel. Sometimes suffering can come to us in the form of some misfortune or tragedy or disaster. 
but we probably shouldn't describe those as being evil. They're just the result of being and living in a broken world. But somebody who is intent to cause you malice, meanness, slander, ill treatment, physical violence, that comes from a person who has determined in their will, this is how I will react to you. And that's the kind of suffering Christians are to expect in which we are to rejoice, to rejoice in. Not suffering which comes from just living in a broken world, but that which comes from a person who chooses. I choose to inflict evil upon you. Comes about in jealousy, spite, bitterness, contempt, hatred, anger, rage. Rage. I think that's what Jesus is saying. When you suffer because someone has determined to be or to express their ill will to you, then you can rejoice. And the second qualifier, I think, also that he makes in this beatitude, he says that it is inflicted on us because of righteousness' sake, or Christ's sake, or the gospel's sake. 1 Peter 4.14, If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. So there's the joy of our suffering. When we suffer as a Christian because we are standing up for Christ, we're proclaiming the gospel, then the promise is given. The spirit of glory rests upon us. God's presence is right there. When we suffer as a Christian, we are to rejoice and to consider it worthy that we shall be counted among those who suffer for his name. But I th also need to say this. It is possible, possible for us to be offensive when we share what we believe. It is possible for us to become annoying. It is possible for us to provoke others to a place where they just discount what we're saying totally and what, want to have nothing to do with Christians ever again. I've met a couple like that. We actually turn people off. Perhaps they're well-meaning, but they're lacking in love. Peter says, what is our answer to be to the person who asks us about the hope that we have within us? He says this, 1 Peter 3.16, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. 1 Peter 3.16, do it with gentleness and reverence. So Jesus is saying in this beatitude, count yourself supremely happy for being a Christian, and sometimes being a Christian means just copying it, suffering, because you know that you belong in the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is the active and rule and reign of God in our life. And so Jesus is saying, blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When you are being persecuted because you're standing up for Jesus, 
you know that you are participating in the active rule and reign of God in this world. You are sharers in God's reign in this crooked and perverse generation in which we live. So as we've seen, particularly in the last few Beatitudes, it's by loving our enemies, loving our enemies that the love of God is shown. And it is that which will bring them to repentance. With all that's happened in the last few days, the one thing that's been going over my mind is how can Israel show love to Palestinians? Show love. Romans 2, 4. Do you not realise that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? That's the way that God works. He He reconciles his enemies by showing them love. Jesus was on that cross. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. And ill will is, uh, ill will determined to do evil is never conquered and changed by another ill will. Evil is only overcome by good. Hatred is only overwhelmed by love. Only by loving our enemies will they be turned around to be our friends. So what are we to take from this? When we're attacked, don't attack back. Endure. Endure that suffering in whatever form that it may come and respond in love. That's what God did in Christ's death on the cross while we were still his enemies. We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. So they seem strange words, don't they? This beatitude, to suffer for Christ is to be a joyful thing because it's not what the person who is expressing an ill will toward us expects from us. They expect us to fight back. They expect for us to turn back on them with some hatred. But when we turn back on them in love, then their ill will is exposed for what it is. And of course we realise, don't we, that in and of ourselves we cannot do this. This is why we need the Spirit of Christ in us. That those moments when we begin to be stirred up inside because someone is having a go at us because we are a Christian. To pause and Jesus live in me in this moment. May they see the expression of Christ in me. One writer writes this beatitude in these words, blessed are those who suffer because of their practices of loyalty to Jesus and to justice, and to justice. And then a final thing, as we kind of wrap up all these Beatitudes that we've been looking at over the last few months. I read this week, Donald Hagner, he says of the Beatitudes as a whole, all of them, he says this. The traits of those who are proclaimed happy could well be taken as a description 
of the behaviour of Jesus himself. They could be taken as a description of the behaviour of Jesus himself. May Christ be seen in you. Let's pray together. Father, we're blessed because we live in this country and I imagine that for the majority of us this morning we haven't suffered greatly, we haven't been persecuted greatly because of our faith. Maybe that's to our detriment. But Lord, if we are, if someone does express an ill will toward us because we count ourselves with you, we believe in the good news, we share the good news, then, Lord, my prayer is that we might respond in love and love them into the kingdom. For that is what you did for each of us. May it be so, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.